Please turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. So in Hebrews chapter 1, this was where we were the last time we were together discussing the angelic host. <clears throat> We've been over a number of different things about angels because we want to have a right understanding of angels as given to us within the Scripture. Uh, our culture, in many different cultures, have <clears throat> various ideas of angels as to what they do, what they look like, some of them with what their names are. I think within Catholic theology, they have a number of different names for angels, but none of them are given within the Scripture. At least not the accepted books within the Scripture. Some of the apocryphal books mention others, but they're apocryphal books. They're not inspired as what we have here within the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. But we want to have a right understanding. We want to understand what cherubim are, seraphim, archangels. And so we've studied on some a few different things, at least on descriptions of what the Scriptures give to us. That cherubim are not little baby-looking angels, <clears throat> but that they are indeed terrifying creatures if you were to see one. They are guardians. They guard the very throne of God. The seraphim, they indeed fly in the midst of the immediate presence of God, worshiping God. <clears throat> so we've learned some things, at least about what the Scriptures tell us about angels. So the last time we were together, we discussed the passage here of Hebrews chapter 1. We read from verses 5 to 14. And we were looking at the angels in regards to God, in regards to Christ. What is it that they do? Well, one, as we discussed before, that they are indeed ministers of worship. For the writer of Hebrews, quoting the Old Testament, refers to them as such. <clears throat> and we'll read... Uh, right here in verse 7, when he says, And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. They're called ministers. That they worship God. They worship the Son. And we see that worship going on not only in heaven, in <clears throat> Revelation chapter 4 and 5. We see it going on, of course, in other passages of Scripture that we have discussed in Isaiah chapter 6, for example that the angels are in the immediate presence of God and they are worshiping God. That's their one of the primary functions is to worship. <clears throat> they attend the manifestation of God's glory. Uh, that is another thing that they do. They are agents of God's rule. We talked about a number of different passages there. Uh, where they assist God in the ruling of His world in the sense of performing different things and acts within the world on behalf of God. How they restrain wickedness, how they control the elements that that has been given to some to do. That they are messengers. That they are always ready to, to do the bidding of the Lord. We see how the angels <clears throat> bring message, messages to various ones within the Scripture. Now they have Daniel. Daniel had at least two angels come to give him messages. And then Joseph and Mary, how Gabriel had uh, visited them. And then at the announcement of John the Baptist of his birth, Gabriel was part of that. 
they are messengers. That's what the name means. Angelos, messenger. Even the Hebrew malak it means messenger. And so they are uh, constantly doing uh, that bidding for the Lord as well. They render service. They are messengers. They help restrain wickedness. They help control the elements as far as being within the scope of God's rule on the earth and performing the acts that He has given them to do. Ministers of worship. These are things that all that they all do in regards to God and to Christ. Remember, with Christ, they ministered to Him. Ministered to Him after His temptation in the wilderness. They ministered to Him in the garden when He was praying right before His uh, arrest and all of that. How they were the ones who announced the birth of our Lord. <clears throat> they take part in all of these things in regards to Christ as well. They are at His bidding. Christ is the commander of the armies, if you will. He is the Lord of hosts. He's the Lord of the armies. And Christ said even to Peter when they came to arrest him in the garden that he could call twelve legions of angels if he wanted to come save him. We talked about angels in that regard, how powerful they are. We'll look at a passage that we went over last time of how uh, the angels destroyed an army of 185,000 Assyrians. How one angel destroyed 70,000 of the Israelites. We went over that before. 70,000 of the Israelites when David numbered Israel and done so by a pestilence. <clears throat> These are very powerful beings and yet they do the will of God. <clears throat> they do all that the Lord bids them to do and they are ready at any moment to do so. But now what we're looking at is what, how, how do they minister then towards believers? What is it that they do for believers? Now you have, of course, the ideas of guardian angels. People say that everybody has a guardian angel and that sort of thing. Well, is that what the Scripture actually teaches us concerning that? You know, sometimes we, we look at <clears throat> various passages and we automatically assume that it would imply that everyone has a guardian angel. I think the reality of what those passages are actually teaching us is a far greater reality than simply having a guardian angel for each person. So we're going to look at that today. What then, how do, how do angels then minister to the people of God? What do they do? What do we see them doing within the Scripture in various places? <clears throat> There's a number of things that they do. There's quite a few things that they do. And then we'll look at how those things are then applied to us in our day. So let's read <clears throat> once again Hebrews chapter 1, verses 5 to 14. And what we're going to focus on is specifically verse 14. Let's stand for the reading of God's Word. This is the inspired, inerrant, authoritative, infallible Word of the living God. Let us hear the Word of the living God. For to which of the angels did He ever say, You are My Son, today I have begotten You. And again, I will be a father to Him, and He shall be a son to Me. And when He again brings the firstborn into the world, He says, And let all the angels of God worship Him. And of the angels, he says, who makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. 
and the righteous scepter is the scepter of His kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated lawlessness. Therefore God, your God, has anointed you with oil of gladness above your companions. And you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. And they will become an old, they will become old like a garment, and like a mantle you will roll them up. Like a garment they will also be changed, but you are the same, and your years will not come to an end. But to which of the angels has he ever said, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? Let's pray together. Gracious God, we thank you once again for your word. We thank you for all the wonderful truths that it teaches us of, of the angelic host and how they do your bidding and how they render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Father, help us to have a right understanding that we would not give too much honor to creation, to your created beings, but that understanding them better will help us to render even greater worship to you. Father, guide our thoughts. And may you bless the preaching of your word. May it accomplish all you desire in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> so we read here, of course, of the relationship between angels and God and Christ, that they are His ministers, ministers of worship and all of that. They worship God. Uh, they are not given the same privileges as the Son, which is something very important to understand because when you talk to Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they will say that Christ was Michael the archangel in the Old Testament. And here the writer of Hebrews is quoting the Old Testament and he's saying, or to which of the angels did he ever say, you are my son, today I have begotten you. Never did he say that to any angel whatsoever. We talked about though, uh, in the previous weeks, how the angel of the Lord was a title that was specific to Christ in the Old Testament and that whenever that was mentioned, that the person who had seen the angel of the Lord had understood that they were in the presence of God. Uh, the angel of the Lord is not to be confused with a regular angel. Angels are created beings. Never are they regarded in the same way that Christ is, on the same level that Christ is. But what we understand them to do, we have already went over as far as the relationship with God and Christ, but to believers, verse 14 really brings all that into our understanding. When he says, are they not all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? This is the relationship between angels and the people of God. They are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. For those who will inherit eternal life, for the elect, for the church. So what things then do they do? Well, we're going to, you can turn there with me or you can jot some of these down. We're going to go over a few different passages of Scripture here. But one thing that angels do, which is fairly interesting, is that they watch. 
They are called watchers. And Daniel, Daniel chapter 4, <clears throat> this is the title specifically given to them. In Daniel chapter 4, we'll read verse 13, 17, and 23. He says, I was looking in the visions in my mind as I lay on my bed, and behold, an angelic watcher, a holy one, descended from heaven. He says in verse 17, This sentence is by the decree of the angelic watchers, and the decision is a command of the holy ones, in order that the living may know that the Most High is ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whom He wishes and sets over it the lowliest of men. In verse 23, he says, In that the king saw an angelic watcher, a holy one, descending from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it. Yet leave the stump with its roots in the ground, but with a band of iron and bronze around it in the new grass of the field, and let him be drenched with the dew of heaven, and let him share with the beasts of the field until seven periods of time pass over him. Talking about Nebuchadnezzar, by the way. Well, they're called watchers. Now, interestingly, <clears throat> within the New Testament, it gives that impression as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when it says something very interesting, it is the source of great debate, no doubt. <clears throat> But in Hebrew, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 10, it's talking about head coverings, talking about the submission of the woman to the man and the man to Christ and all of that. <clears throat> the Apostle Paul is addressing a certain uh, thing that was going on within that culture of head coverings. He says in verse 10, Therefore the woman ought to have the symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, what exactly does that mean? It, like I said, it is a source of debate as to what it means because the Apostle Paul is talking to the women that you wear the symbol of submission on your head to the man and the man doesn't wear the submission on his head because it, it's a disgrace to him. But women, you do this and you do this because of the angels. Now, you know, again, source of debate. But, MacArthur had brought out that because they are watchers, that they are watching in the sense of keeping track of what's going on within the people of God and how the people of God are responding to each other and submitting to the Lordship of Christ and all of that. And so the, the angelic hosts are watching even what's going on in the submission of women to the men in that context of what was going on. In 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, it was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And these things which now have been announced to you through those who preach the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. That the things that are going on the things that went on, even with the, the crucifixion and resurrection of Christ, His whole passion, uh, all the things that were written in the Old Testament concerning those things and the things that were written thereafter and how history is unfolding according to the will of God, these are things that angels desire to look into. 
And that goes right along with the idea that they're watchers. In Ephesians chapter 3, in, in view of that, in Ephesians chapter 3, <clears throat> verse 10, actually let me back up verse 8. To me, the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unfathomable riches of Christ and to bring to light what is the administration of the mystery which for age has been hidden in God who created all things so that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. That God is disclosing the, the truths and the realities of the gospel through the church, and he's, he's showing through the church to the angelic host all this great mystery of things. So that the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. Coming back to the idea that they're watchers and they are constantly watching, looking into the things that are unfolding within the plan of God. Watching those that are those in Christ. Not only are they watchers, but they reveal God's truth. This is something that they did within the Old Testament, wasn't it? We read of that a couple of weeks ago. That in Galatians chapter 3, verse 19, the Apostle says, Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions, having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been given. This is the same thing that Stephen says in the book of Acts in chapter 7, verses 52 to 53, that the law was ordained by angels. And when you go back to Exodus, whenever the law was given, and you see how the Lord had cut out the stone and He had written but with his own finger as it's described, the law, and then it was given to Moses, that you could see within that how the Lord had done it, and then it was given to the angels to take it to Moses. <clears throat> the writer of Hebrews says a very similar thing there in Hebrews chapter 2. That they help to reveal God's truth. This is also part of them being messengers. Messengers to the people of God. As when Daniel would pray in Daniel chapter 10, for example, he's praying and he's asking the Lord about a certain matter. And so the Lord dispatches an angel to come and talk to him and to tell him what things were yet to come. That happened in chapter 9 and then with another angel in chapter 10. They help to reveal God's truth. <clears throat> we see a variety of examples of that throughout the Scripture. Specifically in the law. Specifically in other matters. But those are things we've talked about a little bit before. But they help to reveal God's truth. Not only do they do that for believers, for the people of God, but they help guide the people of God. For example, in Acts chapter 10, we read of Cornelius. <clears throat> In Acts 10, verse 1, Now there was a man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort, 
a devout man and one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had just come in and said to him, Cornelius. And fixing his gaze on him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers, your prayers and alms have ascended as a, memo a memorial before God. Now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. He is staying with a tanner named Simon, whose house is by the sea. So you have Cornelius, who receives a vision, and in the vision, this angel comes to him and says, this is what you are to do, Cornelius. Send some men out to Joppa. Look for a man named Simon, who is called Peter. Then, of course, Peter ends up coming to their house. Peter preaches the gospel, and then they are converted. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 8, Acts chapter 8, beginning of verse 25, you have Philip, who is in Samaria. He's preaching the gospel in Samaria. <clears throat> verse 25. So when they had solemnly, solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. Now, this is when the Ethiopian eunuch is reading from the book of Isaiah, and he says, I don't understand this unless someone explains it to me, and here comes Philip. And Philip says, well, let me help you. Preaches the gospel to the Ethiopian. He's converted, all of that. So you have this angel that was guiding Philip in order to come over here to preach the gospel to this particular person, this official of the queen of the Ethiopians. And with Cornelius, <clears throat> that angels are helping to guide the people of God. They helped to guide Joseph, did they not? Joseph had a dream. You need to get up, Joseph, and you need to go into Egypt. People are seeking the life of the child. After Herod's dead, Joseph, you need to arise and take your family back. The one who sought the child's life is now dead. So you need to go back. So angels are helping to guide the people of God. They watch. They reveal God's truth. They guide. They help to provide for the people of God. 1 Kings chapter 19. <clears throat> We read of Elijah as he is fleeing from Jezebel. Verse 5, He lay down and slept under a juniper tree, and behold, there was an angel touching him, and he said to him, Arise, eat. Then he looked, and behold, there was at his head bread cake, a bread cake baked on hot stones in a jar of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise, eat, because the journey is too great for you. So he arose and ate and drank and went in strength of that food forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. They helped to provide. They helped to protect. Restraining the wickedness. Uh, we found that already in the book of Genesis when we found the angels going to Sodom to get Lot. 
And then the men of the city trying to get in because they wanted the angels, the two men. And they were struck with blindness. The angels did so to help restrain the wickedness of them coming into the house so they could get Lot out and his family. But we also read of them restraining wickedness in Second Chronicles 32. A passage we read before. <clears throat> 2 Chronicles 32, beginning of verse 20. But King Hezekiah and Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, prayed about this and cried out to heaven. And the Lord sent an angel who destroyed every mighty warrior, commander, and officer in the camp of the king of Assyria. So he returned in shame to his own land. And when he had entered the temple of his God, some of his own children killed him and killed him there with the sword. <clears throat> this was also in uh, recorded in Second Kings <clears throat> chapter nineteen, verse thirty-five. This is the same account. Then it happened that night that the angel of the Lord went out and struck a hundred and eighty-five thousand in the camp of the Assyrians. And when men rose early in the morning, behold, all of them were dead. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and returned home and lived at Nineveh. <clears throat> they helped to restrain wickedness. Sennacherib was wanting to invade Judah. And the Lord dispatched an angel to hold them back. And in fact, killed 185,000 of them. So they helped to protect the people of God in, in the same way. By restraining the wickedness, they protected the people of God. In Acts chapter 27, verse 23. <clears throat> Actually, let's jump in verse 21. When they had gone a long time without food, then Paul stood up in their midst and said, Men, you ought to have followed my advice and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this damage and loss when they got shipwrecked here. Yet now I urge you to keep up your courage, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. For this very night, an angel of God to whom I belong and whom I serve stood before me saying, Do not be afraid, Paul. You must stand before Caesar, and behold, God has granted you and all those who are sailing with you. Therefore, keep up your courage, keep up your courage, men, for I believe God that it will turn out exactly as I have been told. But we must run aground on a certain island. So this is when they're getting ready to be shipwrecked, but there's not going to be any loss of life because an angel is there. And this angel has told Paul, no loss of life is going to be in this situation. They are helping to protect Paul, and then in doing so, they're helping to protect all the people that were with Paul. And one <clears throat> particular one that we are very familiar with in Daniel chapter 6, Daniel is thrown into the lion's den. <clears throat> we remember this. By the king's order, King Darius, he is thrown into the lion's den. <clears throat> so in the morning, Darius, well, throughout the night, Darius had not eaten anything, being worried about Daniel. 
And so the next morning, Darius runs to go check on Daniel. So verse 20, when he had come near to the den, near the den to Daniel, he cried out with a troubled voice. The king spoke and said to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you constantly serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel spoke to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths, and they have not harmed me, inasmuch as I was found innocent before him, and also toward you, O king, I have committed no crime. An angel was dispatched by the Lord to shut the mouths of the lions, and they did not harm Daniel. We could look also with the situation with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, how they had angered King Nebuchadnezzar because they would not bow before the idol. And so King Nebuchadnezzar says, you know, heat up that thing, heat up the furnace seven times hotter than it usually is. And so the guys that are doing this end up getting burned up because it's so hot. So they throw Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego into the furnace. Then the king's looking in there and he says, then we throw three guys in, why do I see four? And he says, it's like the Son of God. Now, that could be taken to be maybe a reference to Christ, that Christ was in the midst of the fire with them. Or we could understand it too, that King Nebuchadnezzar is indeed a pagan. And so he's looking and he sees somebody else in there that to him, that would be like a son of one of the gods. So it could have been an angel as well. But either way, the people of God were protected. And it was, either way, by the Lord's doing. Angels help to protect the people of God. And they deliver them. They help to deliver the people of God. Now, these are interesting things because, I mean, God could do this without them. In Acts chapter 5, God doesn't need the angels to do this, but He does indeed use them to accomplish His purposes. So in Acts chapter 5, we read... In verse 19, how the disciples are imprisoned by the religious leaders. Verse 17, But the high priest rose up along with all his associates, that is, the sect of the Sadducees, and they were filled with jealousy. They laid hands on the apostles and put them in a public jail. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the gates of the prison, and taking them out, he said, Go stand and speak to the people in the temple the whole message of this life. Upon hearing this, they entered into the temple about daybreak and began to teach. So here the disciples, the apostles, are arrested by the religious leaders for preaching the gospel. They put them in jail. Then an angel appears to them, delivers them from their chains, and says, go on back out and go preach again. And so they go into the temple, and there they are once more, Preaching the gospel. That is an interesting story. Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, we have similar situation this time with Peter. Beginning in verse 1. Now about that time, Herod the king laid hands on some who belonged to the church in order to mistreat them. And he had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. When he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. Now it was during the days of unleavened bread. 
when he had seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him to, to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out before the people. So Peter was kept in the prison, but prayer for him was being made fervently by the church to God. On the very night when Herod was about to bring him forward, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and guards in front of the door were watching over the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared and a light shone in the cell. And he struck Peter's side and woke him up, saying, Get up quickly! And his chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Gird yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so. And he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And so another angel delivers Peter from, from the prison. <clears throat> you have the Lord delivering the man of God. In Second Kings, Second <clears throat> Kings, chapter six, <clears throat> now you have <clears throat> you have the king of Aram who is warring against Israel. Let's look at verse eight here. Now the king of Aram was warring against Israel, and he counseled with his servants, saying, "In such and such a place shall be my camp." The man of God sent word to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Arameans are coming down there. The king of Israel sent to the place about which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, so that he guarded himself there more than once or twice. Now the heart of the king of Aram was enraged over this thing, and he called his servants and said to them, Will you tell me which of us is for the king of Israel? He's thinking that because the king of Israel knew his plans, that somebody was spying. So tell me, which of us is for the king of Israel? One of his servants said, No, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet who is in Israel tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and take him. And it was told him, saying, Behold, he is in Dalton. He sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Now when the attendant of the man of God had risen early and gone out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was circling the city. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elijah prayed and said, O Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the servant's eyes and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. When they came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people with blindness, I pray. So he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Once again, the people of God being delivered by angels. They are messengers. We talked about that. And... Other things that we see, at least in one particular place, is that they care for us at our death. In Luke chapter 16, we read of Lazarus and the rich man. Jesus is telling this account. Verse 19, here's what we find. Now there was a rich man, and he habitually dressed in purple and fine linen, 
joyously living in splendor every day. And a poor man named Lazarus was laid at his gate covered with sores and longing to be fed with the crumbs which were falling from the rich man's table. Besides, even the dogs were coming and licking his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried away by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades he lifted up his eyes being in torment and saw Abraham far away and Lazarus in his bosom. And then it goes on. But you're finding that when Lazarus died, that it was the angels who carried him to paradise. Now, for many of us, probably especially those that are near the medical field and others that have had family members pass away, that many times, and this isn't just isolated instances, but many times you have family members that will say that they are seeing angels before they die. Before they die. How many times have we heard that? That they're, they're there. They see them. Can you see them before their death? That was the case with my own father. Days before he died, he would be looking around like this. What are you looking at? I see those angels. Can you not see them? No. I can't see them. What are they doing? They're just looking at me. And then in days to come is when he died. But there are numerous stories like that. Numerous accounts of when people are on their deathbed, they see angels. You see here, of course, this angel carrying Lazarus to paradise. <clears throat> but these are things that they are doing. Doing the bidding of the Lord by taking care of the people of God in these various ways. And we find this all through the Scripture. Now, coming back to Hebrews chapter 1, verse 14, with the, the understanding that they are ministers, they are ministering spirits sent out for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. We have a greater understanding of some of these things. In Matthew chapter 18, and by the way, this is where a lot of times where we get the idea of a um, guardian angel. Matthew chapter 18, we find Jesus, of course, talking to his disciples, and here's what he says. Verse 7. Woe to the world because of its stumbling blocks. For it is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to that man through whom stumbling blocks come. If your hand or your foot causes you to stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life crippled or lame than to have two hands or two feet and be cast into eternal fire. If your eye causes you to stumble, pluck it out and throw it from you. It is better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be cast into the fiery hell. See that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that their angels in heaven continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man has come to save that which is lost. So you have Jesus who says, don't despise the little ones. For their angels are continually in the presence of God. They continually see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Now, 
Some will look at this and, and gather the idea that it's talking, one, about children, and two, that it's talking about guardian angels as far as every believer or every person having a guardian angel. But that's not really what it's talking about. And we know it's not talking about because that language that Jesus uses of these little ones is also used earlier in the chapter. <clears throat> but it's also used elsewhere in chapter 10, talking about little ones, meaning those that are least in the faith. Now, remember in chapter 18, Jesus has been talking about children having faith like a child and all of that, but He's using them as the example to talk to those who are believing the disciples. As Squirrel has been uh, expounding to us First John, that language is being used by John. Little children, the hour has come. Talking about the people of God. Talking about disciples. Those who believe. He says... Verse 6, but whoever causes one of these little ones to believe, who believe in me to stumble, it will be better for him to have a heavy millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. In chapter 25, when we read of the day of judgment, and Jesus looks at the people and he says, you know, you, you gave me something to drink, you clothed me, I was naked and you clothed me. You gave me something to eat. All of these things. And they asked Him, When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? Verse 40, The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of, the, of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Even the least of them, you did it to me. John Calvin he says this about this passage there in Matthew 18. <clears throat> he says, The interpretation given to this passage by some commentators, as if God assigned to each believer His own angel, does not rest on solid grounds. For the words of Christ do not mean that a single angel is continually occupied with this or the person, and such an idea is inconsistent with the whole doctrine of Scripture, which declares that the angels encamp around the godly and that not one angel only, but many have been commissioned to guard every one of the faithful. Away then with the fanciful notion of a good and evil angel and let us rest satisfied with holding that the, that the care of the whole church is, com is committed to angels to assist each member as his necessities shall require. What Calvin This isn't to gather that Everybody has a guardian angel, but it is an understanding that the angels are commissioned for the people of God. To render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. Not to render service to them, to render service for them, is what the writer of Hebrews is saying. So that angels, the angelic host, are commissioned that everything that they do within this world is for the purpose of rendering service for the sake of the elect for the sake of those who will inherit salvation, so that everything they do is for the good of the people of God. And not one angel, but all of them. Now why does He say this in Matthew 18 though? He's 
talking about it, the whole conversation started out with who's greatest in the kingdom, who's the greatest, who's the least, and all of that. And you have an interesting thing by some theologians as they are looking at this passage that even the lowliest disciples, the lowest of all Jesus' disciples, have an entourage of angels before the face of God. Now you think about how a king, his son, comes into a city and he has this great entourage with him. right? And it's demonstrating not only the splendor of the son, but of the, the king who has sent him. That he's saying that even the least of these, these little ones, have an entourage of angels before the face of my Father in heaven. And for that reason, he says, every disciple has rank and value and dignity corresponding to the direct access to God. That's a much greater reality than simply everyone having a guardian angel. And it's something to understand too that you are no more safer if you did have a guardian angel than you are right now. You are no more safer if you had one continually with you at all times as people perceive guardian angels than you are if you didn't have one. And the reason is because you have God as your Father. You have Christ as your Lord and Savior whom, to whom you are heirs and joint heirs with Him. And you have the Holy Spirit of God who dwells within you. You are no more safer if you have an angel because you have God as your Father. Now back to Hebrews chapter 1 and we'll finish up here. <clears throat> they are ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. All the angels are specifically sent for ministry. To minister for the people of God. Everything that the angels do throughout history, throughout the present time, now is for the good of the people of God. That's an amazing thought. Now, just one. Are they not all ministering spirits sent out for the sake of those who inherit salvation? For what the angels do now in this world as they restrain wickedness, as they are helping to encourage the people of God, as they are protecting the people of God, Everything that they do in this world is for the good of the people of God. Everything. Now, do they do things today as they did in the times of the, the Scriptures? They have visions and angels appear to people in visions and that sort of thing. Do they give more revelation of God? Now, we have the final revelation already. Do they still perform these acts in a way that maybe we don't perceive them to be there? Sure. Because they are there. That is the unseen world that we cannot see with our, our eyes, obviously, unless the Lord was to allow us to see what's going on around us. 
But the spiritual realm is very real. And they are continually there. Doing all that the Lord has bid them to do for the people of God. To help care for the people of God. Protect them. They are there for the sake of those who inherit suffering. It's an amazing thing when you consider what it is that the angelic hosts do for the people of God that only brings glory back to the one who sent them. That viewing angels in the right understanding of the Scripture only helps to enhance even more so the grandeur and the majesty of God. He could do all these things by Himself. He doesn't need them to do anything. As far as delivering any of His people, He could it's done. But He uses His angelic hosts for those purposes. For you. For me. We will stop there. And next time, we will then begin discussing demons. What are they? What do they do? So. <clears throat> Let's go ahead and pray together. Gracious God and our Father, how we thank You that You are indeed majestic and glorious in every way. We thank You for the angelic host that You have sent for the people of God to render service for the sake of those who inherit salvation. Father, we thank You for Your protection. We thank You for Your guidance, for Your encouragements that You provide us, even in using Your angelic host to do so. Help us to be aware, Father, of the spiritual realm and just how real that it is. And to be kind to strangers for in doing so, we may entertain angels unaware, as Your Word says in the times that they do manifest themselves according to Your will. Father, thank You again for all that You do for us for the sake of those who will inherit salvation. To You be the praise, the honor, the glory in all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.